So, basically, I don't know if we fully understand and know. Uh, we worship baby Jesus at Christmas time, most of us do. Uh, the announcement of Christ to the world. Um, and we just think it's so cute. Um, a lot of the songs in the, in, the, in the chancel choir tonight were about baby Jesus. Little baby Jesus boy, little baby savior, little baby this, little baby that. And most of us, and I've said this before, keep Jesus as a baby. We've never let him grow up out of the manger. We've never let him turn into uh, the adult who lived a life um, for, of example for all of us to die on the cross for our sins. Most of us are still kind of at the baby Jesus stage. And I want to challenge you tonight to kind of find out where are you at in this situation? Where are you? Where, where is Jesus? Because there's not much that we know. We know his birth. We know about when he was 12 years old, the story. And then we don't find him again until he's 30. Like, we don't know anything. And at, that used to confuse me and make me mad. Because I'm like, he had to be like the coolest little kid. Like, did he do magical tricks? Like, did he screw with people and like make things appear and disappear? Did he, you know, like be standing on this side of somebody talking to him and all of a sudden be like, bling, and disappear and be like, bling, and appear over here and be like, hey, and they're like, whoa! Like, can, can you, like, was Jesus that way? I mean, no, probably not. Because he didn't fully grow into that until when he was 30, when his time had come, is what he was telling everybody. My time has not yet come. Um, and so there's this kind of interesting kind of, we, we miss this whole chunk of Jesus' life until he shows up, and for three and a half years, he changes the world um, in, in three and a half years. And so what I want to talk about tonight is um, not just who it is that we celebrate at Christmas time, but what do we do with this? Where does this go? How can we tangibly live a life for Christ? Go to the next question. Go to the next slide. No one ever argued. Now, let me, let me hear you. There are a lot of skeptics in this world, okay? There's a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus. There's a lot of people that don't believe in God. Um, most religions, whether you accept Christ or not as Savior, don't argue with the fact that Jesus was real. <laughs> There's nobody that I know of that is any kind of, any kind of historical moment would deny that Jesus actually walked this earth. I mean, 99% of historians believe that. And they also believe that he had relatives. He had a family. He had a mom. He had a dad. They just don't believe in like the virgin birth and like this whole spectacular thing that Jesus was and how he came into the world. He had brothers. I mean, the Bible records that. He had cousins. Nobody argues that. Nobody messes with that fact. And yet, I've never heard anybody give a sermon on it, really. I've never heard anybody talk about the fact that he had human parents and human relatives. And... I started thinking of it this way when I heard a pastor, actually two pastors, made the same comment within about a month of each other, and I had never heard this before. And I'd always kind of thought, you know, you have to accept Christ on just faith. I mean, we don't see him, we don't know him, we don't understand him, we are in the cultural times of the Bible. And so you kind of have to just have faith, which is okay. But I'd never heard it this way, which actually puts us into an extremely tangible and logical position. And it goes this way. Um, Jesus, from birth to 30, had a pretty normal life. There was nothing special about what he did that we know of. Other than that one instant where he ran away from home and went and like, 
freaked everybody out when he was talking about spiritual things. And all the old men were like, how does this little kid know this? And his mom and dad freaked out and found him. And they were kind of not happy with him. And he was like, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing kind of thing. Like, leave me alone. Um, if you talk to your parents that way, right away, went to the mall and started talking to people about Jesus, um, yeah, they probably hurt you really bad. Um, but that's the only other situation in the scripture we have. So um, we know that he has this family growing up. And it wasn't like he was like 18 or 21, those, those really great ages we all wait for. You know, there's 16, there's 18, there's 21. He was like 30. I mean, you talk about past his pride. I mean, seriously, a lot of people don't begin. I mean, if, if, a, if a person began their career at 30, you kind of look at that and go, what's wrong with that person? Why did that person wait so long? Why did that person screw around while they were just goofing around the whole time and finally put, the, put it together? But that's what's interesting about this. We don't think about these things. And so during this time, Jesus lived with his brothers and his family. Now, he had a brother named James, who later on became the first bishop of Judaism in uh, Israel. And he went on to lead so many amazing missionary movements for the church. Um, he was talked all through Acts um, about him being a leader in the church. And uh, what does it take? And I want you to hear me on this. What does it take for an individual who grew up with you every single day and knew you as a brother to at age 30 say, that's the son of God? Now, up until that time, we don't know if he knew. That's like Amber and Emma at my house. Amber and Emma growing up together, always around each other. They're twins. They're 10 going on 11. They're with each other. They know each other through and through. The positives and the negatives. That would be like Amber one day when they're 30, getting a call on her life to be a savior. And Emma being convinced of that. And being, that's right, you are the, you are the daughter of God or whatever. Like you are chosen by God to now save the earth a second time. And there's this like new calling on her life. Now, Emma, now hear this. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted but never did anything wrong. Okay. I guarantee you if Amber were then moved and called into this like daughterhood of God, Emma would be like, ah, oh, no, no. I know everything she's ever done. She got ticked at me and punched me in the face when we were trying to trade Barbie clothes one time. Like, she had anger in her heart and she took it out on my face. Um, she, uh, we, we were arguing one time and she called me a stupid dummy head. Um, and she just let me have it. Like, like, James, if anybody would know that his brother's not the son of God. He would know that. He grew up with Jesus. So he either saw what was actually true, that he never did anything like that, or it's an, it's an amazing conspiracy cover-up that his whole family covered all of it up. All right, Jesus is supposed to be the son of God, so let's not say anything about Jesus. We can talk about brothers and sisters and everybody else as bad as we want to. But everybody's going to think that he's supposed to be sinless, so let's not say anything. It's okay to cover something up for about a week or two. But for 2,000 years? 
Like, come on. Somebody had to have written something, talked about something, said something. But he moved from, hey, that's my brother, to that's the son of God. He no longer was like this, yo, bro, what's up? He was worshiping him as his own savior. That is huge. Huge. To move from brother to son of God. I had never understood that. And that hit me. And I went, you can't argue that. You can't argue that. It's impossible to argue that. What would it take in your life for you to call your brother or your sister Savior? A lot. A whole lot. And yet James was convinced just like that. That's the Son of God. Paul, in, the, in Acts, the first missionary, we talked about him a lot in Sunday school, even refers to James as the Son of God. I mean, the brother of the Son of God. The brother, this is James. He's the brother of Jesus. The Son of God. So here's what James says in chapter 1. I want to run through these two really, really, one and two. And I'm going to talk about what it means for some tragedy. In James chapter 1, real. Absolutely human. He knows what pain is. He knows what sorrow is. He knows what hurt is. And he hurts with us. He hurts with those families. He hurts with them deeply. He connects with each one of them in a way that you and I know nothing about. Because James, a servant of God, cool, we get that, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, isn't that your brother? Yeah, he was. He still is. But he's the son of God. Huh? Fully convinced. Fully convinced. 